Welcome to the Open Door Policy. Each week on this podcast, we sit down with a different guest and talk about a letter. Archbishop Vigneron's Unleash the Gospel pastoral letter. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. All right. Be about it. Each guest we have on this show we think is living it out in a new and exciting way. On this episode of Open Door Policy, Christina Marchetti joins us. Christina is the executive director at Mother and Unborn Baby Care. She's a new wife and soon-to-be mom who loves her Catholic faith and loves sharing the gospel of life with those she serves and those in her family. Christina, my friend, it's good to have you on Open Door Policy. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Our, oh, Father Steve Pullis, it's good oh, to have hi. you on Oh, hi, guys. <laughs> as well. Thank you for joining me. You're welcome, well. Danielle. Yeah. Um, how would you feel about doing rapid-fire questions to I start would love off? that. Okay, we, we are ready for you, and I'm going to start. What was the coolest article of clothing you had when you were a kid? Oh, my gosh. My sister just reminded me that they wore the same stuff over and over again. <laughs> I had some really cool Converse shoes that I loved. Yeah. Uh, Christina, what is the weirdest food you have ever eaten? Hmm. Probably oysters. They're gross. What was? What is your favorite piece of religious art? I love the image of, and I know you were talking about it, Our Lady of Guadalupe. If your life was made into a movie, what genre would it be, and who would play you? Hopefully it would be a romantic comedy, mm. and I love Sandra Bullock. So hopefully, like, a younger version of her. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I can see that, too. I gotta get on that bus. You gotta get him. This guy's out of his mind. What do you remember about church from when you were a kid? I went to Shrine, and I remember it being so distracting just because of how beautiful it was. But there's just, as a kid, there was so much to take in. It's probably some of my, like, first memories of being in Mass. Christina, hamburger, pizza, or taco? Pizza. I'm Italian. Mm. Of all the places you have traveled, to where would you return? Florence. Florence. My favorite. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, this is a tough one. I think since I've I've started my ministry, probably the best piece of advice I've been given, you know, just in general doing this work is that it's not about me. <laughs> And that's a good reminder, and I try to remind myself of that. Yeah. Um, if you were to teach a class on something, what what could you teach a class on? I would probably be teaching a class about prenatal development <laughs> um, and anything to do with pregnancy. And if you could pick your confirmation saint over today, mm. who would you choose? I would probably choose St. Joseph. Great. The, the husband of Mary? Yes. The protector of virgins what's the, the terror of demons terror of demons the terror of demons yeah. hey <laughs> that was a high five <laughs> that's it christina what do you love about our lady of guadalupe the image you know i was actually looking at it today because we found this giant poster of her at work <laughs> and we were trying to figure out what we were going to do with this it. is like yeah. the most catholic <laughs> place thing ever <laughs> it is. Well, i work for a catholic pregnancy center and she is our you know our patroness and we do um ask her to watch over us and pray for us but um you know just just the idea of her being this champion in heaven for these mothers and these unborn babies you know that's so inspiring to me 
Um, that's try to that's what I try to be here on earth and the work that I do in my personal life. Um, but I just I, I love you know that image of her being that and just her picture to me. And anytime I see images of her, just really I don't know. It seems like a very like peaceful and nurturing presence about her. Is that something you've come to like doing your work in the uh, pregnancy center, or have you absolutely. always had, had yeah. a devotion there? No, absolutely. I would say you know, different images of Mary throughout, you know, my childhood, definitely, but more so in doing pro-life work, it's been her. So, so you, go ahead, Rando. So, some people say she is the best Marian apparition. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. But you chose St. Joseph for, like, yeah. your, who, who you would be, who would be your confirmation saint now? I think, you know what, lately, maybe it's just dur- during my, my pregnancy, mm. I've been thinking about St. <laughs> Joseph a lot, and Mike and I have talked a lot about him. Like, man, this guy really, he went through a lot. And we did an Advent reflection in the weeks leading up to Advent together, my husband and I, and it, just reading about him. And, you know, we don't really often talk about St. Joseph. Joseph, or at least not enough, I think. And just, you know, in, in the time they were in, in the culture they were in, the things yeah. that he confronted, he, he, you know, he had to be this brave and fierce, you know, protector. Is um, there anything that really struck you from those reflections? Just really thinking about like the context, like the culture that they were in and, you know, not quite being married yet and yeah. being pregnant and just the position that would put him in and just the uncertainty of what their future would be and, you know, the calling that he had, just the faith that that must have taken. You know, I just think like as a parent or thinking about becoming a parent, I kind of right. look at that like, wow, like how can we be more like Mary and Joseph and like asking him to pray for us and really help us to, to be so, that. You work at a pregnancy center. Yeah. What does this mean? What does this entail? So I work for a, I always describe it as a pro-life um, crisis pregnancy center. Ours happens to be Catholic. Um, not all of them are. Mm-hmm. Um, but we provide free pregnancy tests, free ultrasounds, peer counseling, material support, a ton of other kind of support, depending on the situation. Um, and we primarily serve women who are considering abortion. And your advice was, it's not about me. Yes. So like, how does that? I think in this work, because there are so many beautiful things to celebrate, you know, when a mom chooses life and Mm -hmm. she keeps her baby after choosing abortion, it sometimes... After considering an abortion, right? Right, right. I I think sometimes I've seen people get in the habit of kind of like putting that on themselves and really like, oh, you know, I talked her out of having an abortion and Mm. I, you know, this was me. And then on the opposite, the really low of... You know, she's had an abortion and now I'm taking that on myself. And so for me, I kind of started this work like I don't want that like super high and super low. Whatever happens, I want to I want to give it to God. Yeah. And give him, you know, that control. But I want to give him the glory for the good stuff that happens. And then when bad stuff happens or things don't go my way, I want to turn to him and say, all right, God, I know you're still in control. So that advice went a long way for me and it helps me go home at night and not be upset when something bad happens. And it helps me kind of to be stable. When something good happens, I can celebrate it, but I'm not like yeah. getting a big head over it and, you know, patting myself on the back because it's not yeah, about that it, me. that it's his work and he's in yes. charge. And, you know, I don't think Jesus ever ate oysters. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he didn't eat oysters. <laughs> he might have. I, I don't think that's a is Middle there, Eastern food. There, are there oysters in the, the, there, the There are no oysters Galilee? in the Dead Sea. Oh, okay. I was just wondering. 
I wouldn't recommend what, them. Tell me your experience and where you it's were. It's just, I don't remember. My dad loves seafood, mm. and he always made us try, like, everything. Like, you couldn't just not try something or eat something, and he That's loves to That's a good dad. Cook. That's a good dad. It is, but, like, just the consistency yeah. and the, like, uh, or, like, octopus or, like, all mm. that stuff that we'd have to try. I just, I think I tried it once and never did lobster, snails. Like, I mean, he would bring stuff home fresh and, like, cook it and, like, <laughs> And you're like, no, thank you're like, you. You're like, no. That's K. Yeah. So, movie genre... Rom-com. Yeah. <laughs> You're married. I am married. Yeah. Was that a rom-com? I think so. Okay. So you guys know Mike. I do. He's yeah. hilarious. Um, he's so fun. And just like our whole like friendship and the way that unfolded and our dating and engagement and marriage. Like, I don't know. It's just been very fun. Like We've been through some really difficult things together, but... We just laugh a lot together and have a lot of fun together, and so I just kind of think of it that way. You if, know? You're, if you're Sandra Bullock, who is Mike? Oh, my oh, gosh. Yeah. I don't know. Oh. Mm. Keanu Reeves? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> this is about Zion. He, in his mind, probably. <laughs> Christina, you've been uh, a faithful Catholic your whole life, most at least as far as I know you, would you share with us a little bit like how God's worked in your life in the past and what he's doing now? Sure. So I always kind of, whenever someone asks me to share my faith journey or my testimony, I kind of start it with feeling like saying I'm, I'm in the middle of it. In a lot of ways, mm-hmm. I still describe myself as kind of being a baby Catholic. Like there's just so much that I don't know and that I have to learn. And our faith is so deep, right? So that's all of us. Yeah. Um, but I really feel like it's only been in the past few years that I've really dived into learning about my Catholic faith. Um, I was raised Catholic. Both of my parents are Catholic. We're married in the Catholic Church. Um, raised us, you know, sacraments were very important. We went to Catholic school, Mass every Sunday. Um, it was a huge part of our home life. My parents are awesome. Two really, really amazing people. And I have um, two sisters, and I'm in the middle. So there's three girls. Um, And I just, you know, from a young age, you know, was taught how to pray and was taught who Jesus was and um, how to pray to him and and the importance of having him in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, A big part, when I reflect on, like, my childhood and my upbringing, a big part of what we were taught is, you know, now I understand to be the theology of the body, There's a huge emphasis on, you know, the dignity of each person, but, you know, you know, as well as me as an individual, um, you know, just the virtues of chastity and abstinence and modesty and, um, you know, doing pro-life work obviously was, you know, stemmed from that, you know, beginning foundation that they gave us. Were you doing pro-life work even in high school or? Even earlier. So... My, yeah. my grandma Sally was a pioneer for the pro-life movement. We like to call her my mom's mom. And she raised nine kids. They all went to Shrine. Um, and she really, from a young age, actually had them doing pro-life work with her in many different ways. And um, so that's something that my, my mom grew up with. And then as we as kids, you know, if it was um, doing a, a, you know, a diaper fundraiser mm-hmm. through our church or passing out information after church, going to a local crisis pregnancy center and bringing donations or getting to meet them and see what they were doing and then sort through baby outfits and things. So I was introduced to that part of it from a very young age. And I was also introduced to 
um, what abortion was yeah. from a very young age. So the seeds were planted very, very early on. It wasn't until college that I considered, you know, getting into a ministry and doing it full time, but it was always a huge part of um, our upbringing and still is a huge part of, you know, my extended family and our beliefs as well. And that was because of my grandma. Yeah. So that's something that like you had as a child has continued Mm -hmm. to be with you. How do you see God working through your pro-life work now? Or like, uh, how do you see your faith being lived out? through that ministry. Sure. So, you know, I have the benefit of working for a Catholic organization. So, you know, my my personal faith and my values, I get to live out every day at work, you know, and get paid for it. And it's the <laughs> coolest thing ever. I never thought I would have the opportunity to do that. Um, but it's it's a joy, you know, and our, you know, the clients we serve are not Catholic. Um, mm-hmm. They're not pro-life. They're there because they're in a really difficult spot and they're considering having an abortion. But because of the foundation I've been given, um, just that knowledge that life is valuable no matter what and that God has a plan for each and every life and that there is a soul from yeah. the moment of conception. I mean, that has just so framed my mentality when I go into counsel someone or to train someone to counsel or how I shape our program. Um, So, you know, those are things that I've learned to do more through the past few years, um, but didn't always come natural to me. Yeah. And even the way you're talking about theology of the body, like the child has a soul, but this mom in front of you has Mm -hmm. a soul too, right? Whatever she's struggling with, like... Like God is working in her life in some way and he's working in your life and that just kind of the, I would think the promptings of the Holy Spirit, the movement that, you know, you feel about whether it's challenging or encouraging or just showing her that she's loved. Sure. Like. That's speaking to her soul as well. Absolutely. And I've, you know, and I've been through my challenges as with my own faith and I've, I've been through that and I've wrestled with God on different things and have kind of had moments of like, why am I Catholic? You know, mm-hmm. why, why am I pro-life? Why do I have these beliefs? What, you know, what does this mean to me? And I think, you know, college for most of us is a really pivotal time in making decisions with our faith and seeing, you know, is this something that I want to embrace or is this something that's not important to me? So having been through that, it helps me to better kind of counsel and guide people. Um, But definitely there was a period of time in college where I, you know, do I want to be Catholic? You know, why am I going to mass? Yeah. and, And why'd you stay? Yeah. Why why'd you, you know, say, yes, I want to be Catholic? Or, I, or you did, right? Spoiler alert, you did. <laughs> I'm still Catholic. <laughs> All right, good. I did not leave. I'm still here. Um, I, You know what? Well, initially, I think what brought me away from it was just not really having a complete understanding of the teaching and the fullness of that and our sacraments and all of that. And I was surrounded by a lot of really amazing Protestant people who loved Jesus a lot. And I hadn't really experienced that with some of my Catholic, you know, friends or family members. And so I was very attracted to having a relationship with Jesus Christ and what that meant. So if they're listening, thank you, you know, for helping me with that. Because it was really like, I think I connected for the first time with like, what does it mean to have a relationship with God? It's not just rules and it's not just, you know, this is wrong and this is right. And if you do this, then you're good. You do that, then you're bad. It was just, you know, who do I talk to every day throughout my day and who guides my actions? Who, you know, you know, the Holy Spirit too. So I, um, I think what brought me back into it was, you know, after I had that relationship with Jesus and that closeness and that intimacy, I wanted more. Yeah. 
and I was asking questions and I was going to Bible studies and I was going to Protestant churches and big non-denominational churches and I wasn't getting answers. So a question. So I work ministry, you work ministry mm-hmm. and just like in growing in growing closer to Jesus and in doing this ministry, like how has this ministry brought you closer to Jesus? In what ways do you know him differently than you did before? Sure. I think I used to be a little bit judgmental and I think just from falling and picking myself up back again in my personal life and seeing God's never-ending unconditional love and forgiveness and patience for me really helped frame um, how I talk to someone who is considering an abortion and is broken and doesn't have Jesus. I don't know. I think it made me a better friend to them. It made me a better counselor because I felt like I could look at them like through the eyes of Jesus and and just love on them. Mm-hmm. You know, they could be sitting there saying, you know, I don't want to do this. I'm, I think it's better to kill my baby. And that would hurt me to hear them say that. But I could, I could look past that and I mm-hmm. could just say, you know what, there's a God that loves you and there's a better way. And I really want to share that with you. And that is so cool how mm-hmm. Jesus uses our own brokenness like that. Absolutely. I just think about like, you know, when Christ comes, he doesn't come just to get rid of like to wash away what sin did, but he takes sin and transforms it when we repent Mm -hmm. into something even better. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. So like he doesn't just get rid of it, but he transforms the experience so that then we become better than we were even before. And so like you're saying about like in your own brokenness, seeing your own brokenness and giving that to Jesus, he transforms your heart, not just to be what it was before you were broken, Right. Before you 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 know had that judgmentalism, mm-hmm. but the way he transforms it to make you even more compa- compassionate because of your own brokenness and how he does that in my life time and again Definitely. to make me a more perfect instrument of his mercy and his love mm-hmm. because of my brokenness. That's mm-hmm. so cool. One could even call it anti-fragile faith. Anti-fragile faith. It's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I. I like kind of difference, but like I'm really interested in hearing your perspective on this, and this is something that I've thought about a lot. Is like you're a woman working in ministry, and you're married now. Like, how has your marriage changed the way you do ministry, or strengthened it, or like how are you different because of your marriage? Like, do you see, like how do you see your vocation now as as also impacting the work you do? I definitely think it's strengthened it. I mean, just even. The you know one of the beautiful things about marriage like having this person who is there supporting you and praying for you, um, really just like your rock that you get to go home to you mm-hmm. know every night and that person that keeps reminding you who you are and uplifting you and what you do, um, that has really strengthened my work. Not that I didn't have that before right. I was married, but just in a new like special way, um, having this person remind you of what God is doing in your life when you're feeling discouraged. Yeah. Um, I had that in other ways being single, but being married, it's just, it's really, it, it's a team effort. And, you know, Mike works a different job nine to five, Monday through Friday, but in a lot of ways, what he's doing is really supporting me. Um, and I think for, you know, just a perspective to share for my clients who come in, most of them are not married and they right. don't really have hope that they would find someone like that. And so I get to share with them, you know, what, what a good, healthy, faithful marriage looks like. And then I think they're encouraged by that. Like, wow, that is out there. You know, I can have that. I do deserve that. Right. Um, it's not, you know, out of the realm of possibility. So that's been special to share with them. Christina, what's one thing you love about being Catholic? 
I love our relationship and our understanding of Mary. Mm-hmm. It's so special to me. I love, and even just from a young age, you know, my again, my to bring up my grandma Sally, she would always teach her kids and grandkids about, you know, the importance of Mary in our Catholic faith and just the idea that what is one of the best ways to be closer to Jesus, you know, to really... Um, get to know and have a relationship with his mother. So I think that's something that's really special, and it's something that's been a big part of my life and that I share a lot with my friends who are not Catholic, and I think they you know, maybe are confused by that. They've not been introduced to Mary in that way, but they're very um, curious about it and very interested in it, and they ask a lot of questions about it. And I, for me, she's kind of my way back into the Catholic faith. You know, in college, I was on that fence of do I want to be Catholic or not, and I was going to an abortion clinic, and every Friday morning I was praying a rosary with a group huh. of Catholic women, but, you know, with my other friends, if you asked me if I was Catholic, I was kind of like, ah, no, not really. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was praying the rosary every single week, whether yeah. I wanted to or not. And I just, I think Mary really was like pulling on my heart, like get to know my son, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're, and I was getting to know her son, but like the fullness of it in our faith is Mary brought me back to that. Yeah. Let's high five for Mary. Yeah. We love Mary. <laughs> that was horrible. Let's Angela, do it. We missed. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Christina, would you like to talk with us about unleashing the gospel in the Archdiocese of Detroit? I would love to. I We were talking a little bit earlier, too, so I'd love to just chat a little bit. You were saying something that you really enjoyed. was it the, And I liked this, too, and I wanted to hear your both of your concepts about this. Evangelizers needing to be evangelized. Yes. Talk to me about burnout, friendos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, mean, like, you do hard work. Yeah. You do hard work, Father Steve. I do hard work. You do hard work. Daniel. I do. Yeah. So, like, what is what is what is that looking like? What is it looking like for you to sure. continually be evangelized? I think, you know, when when you're working so much with these spiritual things and one on one with people and counseling and and working through difficult, challenging situations, it can be really, really easy to get burnt out very quickly if you are not taking care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of that. Um, and I always have this image of like, I am every day going to work and I'm pouring into people, you know, whether it's this woman that we're serving or one of my volunteers and my staff that needs emotional support. I need something that is going to be pouring back into me and filling me up because there's days where, you know, I don't have that and I go in and I feel empty, like I don't have anything else to give. Yeah. And that's when I kind of realize, you know what, I need to take care of myself. I need to take a step back. I need, you know, whether it's, I need to go to adoration tonight after work. Um, I need to be praying about this with God, or maybe I just really need to take a break and do something for myself that's kind of superficial. Um, you know, going on a walk, getting your nails done, whatever. I know. Father oh, Steve. I hear, I hear you there, Christina. <laughs> oh my yeah. Gosh. Um, no, but uh, you know, that, that's a huge point about ministry is about pouring ourselves out, right? Like we even hear Jesus doing that, right? yeah. Right, like he would be with people all day long, and then he'd get up the next morning and go up the mountain to be by himself, to be with the Father in prayer. And that's so critical. You, you know, you're talking about evangelizers mm-hmm. need to be evangelized, mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. For you and me, Danielle, Christina, Mm -hmm. for all of us, whose kind of full-time work is sharing the gospel, that we can only give as much as we've received, and we need to keep going back to the source of it, right? right? Keep going back to the Father to, uh, to remember that we're not just instruments of the Lord, 
but we are people God has called to be in relationship with him first and then to go out and share the good news. And I I mean, I, I hear you mm-hmm. time and again, right? So much as a priest even, like sure. going out preaching or kind of being on with people. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, Danielle and I were talking about this. We're both <laughs> super extroverts, so we love being around people and talking. Mm-hmm. But I need time with Jesus, and I need to just sit and be quiet with him to be evangelized myself, to re-find my identity in him and not just find it in what I'm doing for other people. I'm going to follow up question with that, but this is something that I've been thinking of these past few weeks too, is like the Bible verses do to others as you would have them do to you. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just kind of like, that means you have to have like a standard of care for yourself, you know? So you're like, like, okay, well then what is like the healthy thing look like for me? Like I want, my people to be like healthy and whole and holy that means like i have to have that same standard for myself so like what does that look like right you mentioned adoration you mentioned sure. getting your nails done do you get your nails done <laughs> which i really I don't not, do I, honestly I, yeah right. i bite my nails so like oh, wow. i am the opposite yeah. yeah what do you do to to like evangelize yourself though yeah, so a lot of it is being in uh, in prayer with mm-hmm. God, reading scripture. You know, one of the, the wisdom of the church, I don't know if I've said this here before, but the wisdom of the church, when we get ordained, we make a promise to pray the liturgy of the hours five times a day, and it's the Psalms and it's some other parts of scripture. But like the wisdom there is to, to say you have to promise you're going to stop yeah. and pray five times each day. Like you have a lot of important big stuff to do like we all do but the most important thing you can do is to be with jesus and so uh the church makes priests and religious promise to do that because of how important that is so for me prayer is the sine qua non Mm -hmm. the essential thing for us and that kind of ties into something else we had been talking about um beforehand too you talked about living the charisma Mm -hmm. just in your life and having that be radical and countercultural. The definition of the word kerygma is preaching the gospel of Christ in the manner of the early church. Sure. So I think that what you're saying, like I think that ties into it though, because I think that five times of prayer per day is a little bit radical and countercultural. But yeah, what- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say it's not just Muslims who stop and pray, right? right. Like, like that's part of Islam is to pray five times a day, but that's also part of Christianity. It's mm-hmm. the basis of the the life of a priest and religious and even like faithful Catholics praying before each meal is meant to be a time to stop and think and think about God and thank him before I scarf down this pizza or before I have my dinner or you know things like that yeah so So it is interesting because it is like still radical and and countercultural you know and we don't really make time for that um generally but like for you in your life, living out your charisma, what is that like? What have you seen? What have you experienced? Have you used like just living your life as a form of evangelization? Sure. I think there are things that I just take for granted because there's so much a part of who I am um, for my, you know, Protestant family and friends, you know, just looking through their eyes, you know, just, just the way that I've, I, you know, went about dating and Mike and I and the choices we made in our relationship, you know, not having sex together and living, you know, chastely mm-hmm. or trying to live chastely before we were getting married, not living together before yeah. we were getting married. That, that's countercultural. 
You know, I think it is. I've That's been told, super countercultural, yeah, I live right? in a bubble where that is very normal. But, you know, outside of that, I forget that there's so many people, right? And even the women I encounter every yeah. day at work, that, that to them, that notion is just bizarre. Yeah. And then even getting married, you know, talking about family planning and doing natural family planning, not contracepting, not, I mean, just the, all of those kinds of choices and things that are pretty intimate within right. a marriage, but that everyone wants to know about and kind of asks you and is looking at you like so... Why are you doing that? Yeah. But it's awesome because then I get to talk about it. And I think it's something that they're just very curious about and hungry for. And, yeah. and we know why, right? Because we, we live it and we understand it and we know the freedom that it gives you. Yeah. Um, but they, they just haven't had that. So that's been kind of... Um, and maybe it's kind of beautiful that they ask because then they is. kind of feel like you are a person who will speak truth and will value them enough to tell them truth. Sure. You know, like you feel safe with it. So Sure. But that gets to the heart of the kerygma to yeah. me is that like Jesus comes and this is what Unleash the Gospel is about, right? This radical transformation. Jesus comes to be Lord of my whole life. Yeah. Right. And I don't take this part of my life, whether it's my sexuality or mm-hmm. whether it's my finances or, yeah. you know, some other part of my life and compartmentalize it outside of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But Jesus gets to be Lord of my whole life, and that's where fruitfulness and joy comes from, is when I put all of that under his authority and live all of those things as a gift that he gives me. Absolutely. So I I feel like that is such the kerygma to live that out in in your witness you're talking about. It's so beautiful, Christina. And people see that joy. So, you know, they might not quite understand it, but they'll kind of see Like, I see, like, how happy you guys are, and I see you together, and I see, like— you know, things that like should stress people out or they've seen cause fights and marriages and relationships and they kind of see us working together and they're like very interested in the dynamic, right? Yeah. And it's something I take for granted until I realize, oh, wait, right. like a lot of people don't have this. And I think another thing that's interesting about it is how it's so um, like contrasted against maybe some of the work that you do. Absolutely. And what you see. And so yes. then it's a little bit more like, I don't know. You know that uh, there's a verse in Matthew, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's mm-hmm. kind of like this Matthew is actually... 7:21. Thanks, Father. No, I just made that up. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to like <laughs> send you a note in adoration. <laughs> Where can I find this? But um there's kind of like that too of like this burden is light, you know? Mm-hmm. But um another thing that we were saying is if you were going to add something to the letter, you would add something about sharing the truth in love. Can you unpack that a little bit? And not that it wasn't in there, but I just kind of, I don't know. Especially lately, um, you know, my conversations with people, there's been, you know, just different things in my personal life, my family, where there's been some hard truths, some things in my, you know, my faith life that, you know, maybe make me not be able to attend certain events or support certain relationships, things like that. Um, And I just, I feel like there's this gap. I feel like, in our culture, you know, we associate, you know, love with support. You know, loving yeah. someone means you have to support them. And completely. Like, and there's, completely. No, there's no... Accept every decision they make or right. have made. Right. Yeah. And then there's the truth part of it, which it's like, I feel like they keep those separate. And I feel like they're... There needs to be unity there, you know, that you can love someone totally and completely, but you don't have to support what they're doing. And you can tell them that and you can explain why, you know, in a gracious Mm -hmm. and loving way. But you can share the truth with someone and it, you know, might offend or they may may not understand. But, you know, just as, you know, 
joyful missionary disciples and trying to evangelize in the best way we can. We need to learn how to do that. So whatever and, that looks like. Yeah. And you know how we learn how to do that is by trying it right. and by making mistakes, right. right? Right. Like we were talking about Jesus transforming our brokenness and sinfulness into right. things that are even better. Mm-hmm. Uh, we only do that when we, so sinfulness is one category where we choose not to do his will and we repent. But there's another way where we're like, I don't know how to do this. So I'm going to try, right? right? And I'm going to tell this person, I, I can't be a part of that wedding or I can't support sure. that relationship or that mm-hmm. decision you made because this is the full, fuller plan God has for the world and for your life. Right. And some people may walk away from that or they may get really upset or they may hear it well and you say, okay, well, I could have done better there or there's a you know, clearer way I could have done that, right? Maybe I didn't build up that relationship to show mm-hmm. them how much I love them before I did that. We're going to we're gonna make a ton of mistakes doing it, but that's how you become a great disciple is by being a bad disciple and persevering, <laughs> right? through it, yeah. Yeah, Pray. I mean, like your job or, or anything, right? Like right. how to help these women is making mistakes or kind of like learning how to do it better and better. Right. And it's interesting because in my work life, you know, it's so easy for me to talk to this stranger and share, you know, the truth and love with them. And I've gotten so used to doing that with someone that I don't know personally who I may never even see again. It's just natural for me at this Mm -hmm. point. Right. But when it's a very close relative, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is the most awkward conversation. But you have to do it and you have to try. Yeah. Yeah. And if you start from a place of like, you know what, I love you so much and Jesus loves you and there's a better way. You know, when you start there, I think people are more receptive. Or, or even afterwards, like, you know, that didn't come out how I wanted it. Like, <laughs> I don't think you heard how much I love you. You just heard this or that. I'm really sorry, right? With mm-hmm. that humility. Uh, you guys are saying this, and I'm just thinking about all the times that I've, like, someone has addressed me. Like, hey, <laughs> this thing is not the thing. And I'm, like, so, like, frustrated to hear it. But right. then I'm later on, I'm like, yeah, they, they did the right thing. <laughs> I appreciate it now. And that's the movement of Unleash the Gospel, yeah. right? For us to be this band of joyful missionary disciples that we're, we're going out and we're trying new things. And I don't know. I mean, the spirit of innovation mm-hmm. is one of the good habits to try something new, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's a mark of us being faithful to the movement of Unleash the Gospel is when we see a spirit of innovation working in the church. What kind of innovations... Have you experienced, Christina, working in your work? Yeah. So I am the youngest by far at my nonprofit. Two to three years. She is 16 years old. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) It took a lot of time to gain credibility, I think, for that reason, which is okay. Um, That's good. But I, um, you know, I came into a place where things were being run a certain way for a long time, and they were being done well with a lot of really loving, amazing people. But I saw changes that needed to be made, and ways that we needed to change how we were reaching our audience. You know, we had to change our perspective. And that's so much of what we have to do when we evangelize too. Who are we evangelizing to? How are they going to perceive this? What do I need to do to get my message across in a way that's going to be effective and meet them where they're at? Um, So even just with, you know, things like changing our marketing and some of our counseling and just the way we were going about doing things really made a big impact. Um, 
I think overall on our ministry, but, you know, just understanding this is a person that's coming in that is broken. You know, they're coming from a culture that does not teach them the dignity of human life. We need to understand where they're at and then approach them from there. Yeah. We can't have these same expectations um, of them that we would, you know, someone who's heard this message and been taught that message. They don't even have that foundation. Right. So I think that has really helped, you know, my creativity in that way has really helped me in my work and then has helped me in my personal life, too, because I've had to do that with family and friends who I love as well, who are not at that same place. Um, so, Yeah, that God's working in your life, in your ministry, your apostolate, but also in your family, your friends, in your personal relationships. Christina, is there anything, like, as we call, call things to a close today that you would like to send our listeners forth with some kind of message or, or, um, blessing? I think I would just like to encourage people to really, um, really be open to what God has called you to do that may make you uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, being, you know, more introverted and, and not naturally like wanting to do these kinds of things or even the public speaking I do or the counseling, you know, you never know what, what God can equip you to do. Um, so I think I would just encourage people, especially in reading this letter, knowing that this is a call for each of us and that there's something for each of us. No one, you know, should be left out of this. This is an opportunity and a challenge. No bystanders. No bystanders. Exactly. Amen. Thanks to Christina Marchetti for joining us in the Open Door Policy podcast studio. It was wonderful to hear how God is working in her life, her devotion to St. Joseph, and how much she loves bringing the good news of the gospel into her work and everywhere she goes. Be sure to subscribe and like us on iTunes and to bring your friends along for the ride. And if the Holy Spirit has inspired you while listening today, be sure to pass this episode along to someone else who might enjoy it. Open Door Policy was recorded and produced at Sacred Heart Major Seminary for the Archdiocese of Detroit by Ron Pangborn, who loves discussing the charisma with Father Steve. And you know, I don't think Jesus ever ate oysters. Special thanks to our Open Door Policy creative team, Christine Werner, Paul Duda, Patrick Hodgson, Devin Buston, Patty Maldonado, Naomi Rezo, Joe Peltier, Epsi Christosimo, and Edmundo Reyes. I'm Father Steve Polis with Danielle Center. And this has been another episode of Open Door Policy. Hi, this is Danielle from Open Door Policy, and I wanted to let you know that for season two, we have new social media channels for you to connect and follow Open Door Policy. So be sure to follow at Open Door Detroit on Twitter and Facebook. Tell us what you think of the latest episodes and follow along for the latest updates on all things Open Door Policy. Thanks, friends.